quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. This episode is sponsored by Byheart. Byheart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein, alpha-lac, found in breast milk, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. Byheart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. Byheart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. I came to parenting with everything I learned in childhood. Yelling, punishing, controlling, and shaming. After trying almost every method, I found connected parenting and was totally shocked when empathy, listening, doing away with rewards and consequences, and being a safe place actually worked. It moved the behaviors of my children and it felt good, especially with my very strong-willed and highly sensitive oldest daughter. This podcast was born out of the idea of sharing the message and helping parents find more peace in a modern world. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. So glad you're here. Welcome back to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm here again, everybody. I have a little review from um, one of our 30-day challenge members. She says, the energy in our house is different. I feel like I'm more of the fun mom who isn't as stressed and tired as I was. A lot of it is just a change in my perspective and the way of thinking about my kids and the interactions I am having. I am more hopeful now than ever. Thank you so much. I love hearing these, Jenny. I really appreciate it. All right, let's get into it, everybody. I want to talk about these things that connected parents do that they refuse to do in order to get more resilient kids. So we all want more resilient kids, right? And getting more resilient kids might look differently than you would think. And I think connected parenting in general does create very resilient kids. And connective gentle parenting gets this bad rap that we're doing everything for the kids and that we're indulging them, that we're creating snowflakes and that we're, you know, that we have kids that aren't really tough, that don't really know how to navigate life. I'd say that is completely 100% false if you're doing it right, if you're doing all the things, right? Or if you're trying to do all the things, it certainly isn't easy to do all the things. And it doesn't mean that we're just hands off doing nothing. That is not connective parenting either. So here are some things that I really thought of that these our parents, us, we don't do in order to create kids who are resilient. We don't save our kids from every little frustration. We don't come in and fix all the things when they're having a hard time. So if the child's, you know, the block tower is going to fall, you don't come in and save it. You let the block tower fall so that they can experience frustration. We allow them to face the hard moment and we don't interfere, but we support. And there's the big difference. If the block tower falls, 
and you see the black tower is going to fall and you know the kid's going to have the upset. Instead of racing in and saying, oh, no, no, you're okay. That's okay. We can build a new black tower. It doesn't matter. It's all right. Well, here, let me help you. We say, ah, your whole tower fell. That's so frustrating. I'm right here. And we allow the child to be upset. We do the same thing with the kid who doesn't do the homework. Ugh, you didn't turn your homework in. That's such a bummer. Not, I told you to turn it in. You should have. Well, that's what happens. You say, man, that's really disappointing. Your teacher didn't give you your points. You must be really upset. We come in with support when a child has a frustration. We don't come in to save them because then what are we teaching them? Number two, we don't dismiss feelings. We validate. We empathize with, but we don't dismiss the feelings. We don't push them aside. We want them to face the feelings head on. And we want them to learn from those feelings. We want them to know that the feelings are not going to take them down. We want to show them they can recover. So if we go back to the block hour, when we come with the support, oh man, he fell down. That's such a bummer. Now we're showing our child, you can be upset. In fact, you have every right to be upset. And I'm going to be upset in your upset with you, but I'm going to also show you, I'll be with you in your feelings and you are going to get through the other side, but you're going to have your hard feelings. I'm not going to fix it for you so that you feel like those hard feelings are not normal or that you feel like you have to overcome them. You just have to be in them and recover from them. And now we're showing a child, I can fall down and get back up. I am resilient with support. I'm resilient and pretty soon they won't need your support because they'll be able to gain that support from inside of themselves. But as they're little, they're going to need it. Even as teens, they're going to need it. But hopefully less and less they'll need it. They'll be able to pick themselves up over time. But if we create that support and attachment early, then they can support themselves later on. Okay. Number three, we don't rescue from failure. We give them space to fall down and make the mistake where it is safe. And we help them learn to rely on themselves to recover. So sometimes we see a mistake coming. We can see it. The kid goes outside. It's freezing cold out. They refuse to take the jacket. You let them. You're going to fall down for sure. You're going to be freezing cold. But do we let them be freezing cold? And do we let them learn from that freezing cold experience that they're going to need their jacket? And is it okay? Is the freezing cold going to kill them? No. And we have to be very clear on this because I think a lot of people will be like, that's dangerous. It's going to get them a cold. They're going to die of a cold. They're going to get a horrible cold and then they're going to get pneumonia and then it's going to be. And we go to catastrophe sometimes as parents depending on how we were raised or what happened to us or an experience that we've had, we sometimes go to catastrophe. That's not a good place to go. Let them fail where it's safe. Like I said, the homework, friendship things. Lots of people want to, parents want to interfere in friendship things. You, you see your kid doing the wrong thing with the friends. You know, you hear them on the phone saying the wrong thing and you want to come in and say, honey, 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 don't say that to your friend. You don't mean that. But that is for them to figure out. Developmentally, they're ready to figure that out because they're doing that thing with their friend. And their friend will hopefully set them straight at some point. It might take a while. They might lose a friend over it. But it's better than them losing your friendship over it. And it's also better than 
them relying on you. If you're constantly coming in and saying, this is how you should do it. These are the words we should say. Here's the correction I'm making for you. Here's the opinion I'm giving. Here's the advice. Now, who are they relying on? Themselves or us? We want them to be relying on themselves, but they're only going to be relying on themselves if we make sure that we're giving them space to rely on themselves. So we're giving them space to fail. And I try to, I give a lot of places to fail, mostly all of the places to fail. Sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I give an opinion where I shouldn't, like with dance, get a little wound up. Like with math, I get a little wound up and I'm really trying to let go. I've got this second kid here who is not my Esme. My Esme, I had no problem letting her fail because she self-corrected pretty damn quick, right? With the things that matter. Yeah, not so much. She likes to wallow a little more and fail a little harder and go a little deeper. And it's been harder. It's more difficult, more challenging for me because I'm not used to it. And I'm really having to check myself. So I'm with you, everybody. I know it's hard. It's hard for me too. And I'm really trying to check myself. I've gotten there with dance. Not quite there with math. I'm trying. I just, you know, I don't want to see her fail algebra. But I don't think she's going to. But, you know, it's touch and go and it's not easy. And it's not easy watching her make those failure mistakes. But ultimately, she is learning and she's a slow learner in those ways. And she needs a deep fall sometimes. And all kids are different, right? But the method is still the same. Okay. We don't give them praise at every turn and nonstop. We encourage children to look inside of themselves for the validation creating a sense of self rather than looking for external acceptance and validation. So I know it's so hard when our kid does something that we like. Two things. One thing is, are you telling them that you like the thing because you want them to reproduce that behavior slash performance slash whatever? Is that why you're telling them that? Are you truly telling them that because you are proud of them? And are you being mindful about what you're saying in those moments of praise. I think it's really important to, I don't really love praise. I like more like, my gosh, you did that performance. What did you think? How was it? Did you have fun? What was the hard part? Oh my gosh, I saw your X, Y, and Z. It was so cool. Yeah. We can show that we're interested. Do we have to say, good job. Oh my gosh, you did it. That was amazing. And then we have the kid that's constantly showing us everything. Look at me do this. Look at me do that. Look at me do another thing. Because they want the external validation. And that external validation could be producing a child that needs to feel accepted by others in order to feel good. Because they're constantly looking for that person to validate their existence. And do we want that? Don't we want our child to look inside? So instead of when the kid says, look at me do this, mommy. You can say, well, how'd you do that? Was it hard? What'd you do? Instead of, oh my gosh, you did so amazing. We want to say that, right? But I don't know if it's the best thing to be saying. I think praise can be very tricky. And praise can also create kids who aren't resilient because they aren't allowing, uh, relying on themselves. They're relying on external acceptance. Writing pause for a moment to thank our sponsors. These brands make sure you can listen to this podcast for free. You know what I don't miss at all? The vicious week before my period. 
I always used to feel like I was walking in quicksand and craving the most unhealthy of foods. My sleep was always off and my moods were unpredictable. Now it's easier to manage PMS with EstroControl. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality and it shows. And the biggest benefit, feeling like myself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 14,000 reviews of Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off the entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code PEACE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code PEACE for 15% off today. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her questions via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her responses or use their voice-to-text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. This book becomes a legacy, something your future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I used mylifeinabook.com to compile my own stories to give to my daughters for Mother's Day. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code PEACE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code PEACE for 10% off today. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. Now back to the show. Number five, what we don't do also is prevent our children from taking risks. We don't prevent them from taking risks. Age-appropriate risks, right? There's many valuable lessons and many things they will fail in, but we allow them to take the risk because this is part of the process. It really is. Riskiness is part of what kids crave, right? They crave to do things that are risky and hard and challenging and good for them. We want them to challenge themselves. We don't want them to be dangerous. We have to be very careful though, again, what is dangerous? Are they really going to die here? Or Could they fall down and scrape themselves and could they get back up? And is that okay? We want them to take age-appropriate risks. We want them to try to ride the bicycle. We don't want them to be scared to do things because we're like, oh no, watch out. You're gonna, ah, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, that's too risky. That's too hard. We have to also let go some in order for them to grow because If you don't allow kids to take risks, will you create kids who crave more risk? It's that whole scarcity and desire. And I have a podcast on scarcity and desire that's older. That's all about if you make things scarce, does the child desire it more? So if you make risk scarce, will the child desire it more? And will you push your kid into more risk? Depends on temperament, right? Will you push your kid into more risk because you have made the risk scarce? Or are you going to scaffold the risk for that? I remember the first risk I really felt that I was like, I was not doing the right thing. 
as we, we lived in this neighborhood and there was a, like a park, it was like a parklet. It was like a, a circle down the street from us was like a circle and it was huge. And in the middle of the circle was this big green grassy park area. And it was one block from our house. And she was in seventh grade, I think. And she and her friend wanted to go to that parklet by themselves. And I was beside myself. I was like, hell no. All I could hear, all I could envision was the white van pulling by and capturing the girls and putting them in the van and then driving off. And then my daughter would be gone forever. And I would have lost this kid, my friend's kid too. And I was so terrified and I called the mom and she, of course, you know, she had older girls and she said, no, let them go. They're going to be fine. And, and, you know, I made Esme take her iPod. I think she had at a time or something. And I, I put, I'm find my phone on it and I let them go. They were literally down there for five minutes and they came back, but I remember it feeling like an emergency. And I understand that some of these allowing our kids to take threats feel like emergency. I know more than that. I mean, I've got an 18 year old. She just told me the other day, I said, what are, when are you going, what are you going to be home? She's like, I'm 18. I don't know. For the first week that she was 18, she was like coming home at like two in the morning from her friend's house and all this stuff. And I just, you know, I just, I knew where she was. She was communicating with me, but it was late. And then recently she's been 18 for three weeks. And then recently she was like, I just, feels really good. Like just, you know, like hanging out, coming home at like 11 o'clock, like it's no big deal. Like I don't have to be out all night. Risk, right? I let her take the risk. I let her go and do, and she's figuring it out. She's finding her boundary on it, but I, I get it. It's hard. You think it's easy to let your kid be out in the middle of nowhere in Los Angeles until, you know, two in the morning. Hell no. It scares the heck out of me, but I also have to trust her. I have to allow her to take the risk. And I ha- she has to know, this is the other piece of that you know, risk-taking. They have to know that we trust them and that they don't have to rely on us for all of their safety, that we trust them to do the right thing and the safe thing. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they're going to make mistakes. Let's hope they're connected to us enough to call us and tell us. Let them take the risks. It's okay. It's part of growing up. Okay, number six. We are moral examples. We are not immoral examples. We lead with unconditional love. We live a life that is free of manipulations, that is free of threats, that is free free of bribes, that is free of punishments. Our kids are watching us. It isn't just the fact that punishments are unkind and that they don't work and that they the road connection, but they also represent so many poor things. They represent this idea of threatening, right? Of bribing, of isolation. Who wants to be treated like that? That's not presenting moral behavior. That is being an immoral person. Yelling is immoral. Threatening a child is immoral. Isolating a child is immoral. Spanking a child is immoral. Belittling a child is immoral and using shame with a child is immoral. I know they happen and I know if they do happen, we don't mean it. That's something totally different. If we do it and we don't mean it, of course, that's not what we want to do. But if we do it and we mean it and we want to keep doing it, that's the different story. That's the immorality. Messing up is, is not what I'm talking about here. I'm saying if you use these as part of your pedagogy, if you use these as part of your your parenting 
and you want to use them and you continue to use them because you think they're effective, just think this little thing in your head. You are really modeling immoral behaviors. Bribery is punishable in a court of law. So is threatening. So is battery and assault. It doesn't feel good to be treated those ways. And our children know they're immoral. So us parents, we model morality. And when we do so, we allow this whole space for kids to make mistakes. And when kids can make mistakes, they can be resilient because they're not scared or shameful or talk bad about themselves. When they do make the mistake, they are going to accept the mistake themselves instead of getting into the shame circle. When you get into a shame circle, I'm bad, I'm horrible, my parents think I'm bad, I did the wrong thing. I know many of us talk like that to ourselves. That's not resilient. That's not you know the ability to recover from a mistake. When we don't use punishments and threats and bribes and, and spanking and all those things, now we've given a space to have a mistake happen and have a recovery around that mistake happen, thus building resilience. Okay, number seven, we connected parents don't do everything for our children. Kids can help. They can chip in with a few chores. They can do a few things and be a part of the household. They can take care of themselves and their bedroom and their, you know, I've talked about it before. Kids should take care of their bedroom and their showering and their eating and their bedtime. You know, everything age appropriate, right? We scaffold as we go and we give them more and more responsibility as they get older. But we want them to take care of themselves because if you have done it all for them or you've prescribed it all or you've controlled them all into doing it, what will they leave the house with? How will they know how to exist in this world? How will they know how to take care of themselves if they haven't practiced at home? Do they do their own laundry? Can they do their own laundry? You know, is it a mess sometimes? Yeah, Pia's school uniforms are sitting in the dryer right now. I've been in there since last night. And I don't think they're a wrinkled mess, but I'm not saying anything. Because guess what? She's going to, Sunday night, she's going to get up on Monday morning. She's going to get in there and be like, ooh-wee, I got wrinkled stuff in there. I might give her a quick reminder, your stuff's in the dryer. But it's on her, right? We got to help them with scaffolding. My reminder is scaffolding, right? She's 15. She knows. And how do we scaffold for our kids? We give them more and more responsibility as they get older, but we don't do everything. Don't do everything for your kids. You're not doing them any favors, but you have to be patient around that. And the way in which you get your kids to do things, to chip in, to be cooperative is through the ideas of connection. So we're using all these ideas of connection. Then we can help our kids be more cooperative. And when we help our kids be more cooperative, they're more self-reliant. And when they're more self-reliant, they're resilient. So this method isn't going to create mamby-pamby children if you're doing it right. Folks, I promise you, Esme will tell you, I think she said on the podcast, mom doesn't do stuff for me. I made her do all her college applications herself. I made her do her essay herself. I made her do all her things herself. The one thing she's complained about, I said on the podcast recently, she doesn't want to do her doctor's appointments herself. She doesn't want to schedule them and she doesn't want to go to them and she doesn't want to do anything. And I'm really pushing her to do that because when she gets to college, she gets the sniffles. She's going to have to go to the health center. She's going to have to make an appointment and she's going to have to do that. So she needs some experience now. So don't do everything for your kids. You don't have to. And besides, it makes our life easier. All right. Thanks for joining me on the Peace and Parenting podcast. I'm so glad you are here. I'll see y'all next time. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.